Welcome to the Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we talk all about trends and how to use them to grow your business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. We are Spark Partners to learn about how to grow your business. By all means, follow our podcast, go to our website at sparkpartners.com, take our courses, and just open your eyes to the trends that are happening around you. And uh, how are things in uh, beautiful uh, California there, Adam? We're having a wonderful day. It's uh, it's 60 degrees. And, uh, you know, it was a sure bet yesterday that one of the two California teams is going to end up in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Indeed. It's just a matter of which Well, yeah, we'll see who it is. Uh, Speaking of of sports and uh, getting into shape, I've begun a regimen as of a couple weeks ago. And uh, I joined a gym that is uh, high interval intensity kind of training and uh, really, really enjoy it because it's, for me, I make a lot of decisions during the day and I just want somebody to tell me what to do sometimes and say, okay, you want to do these many reps and just do that. And it's real easy. So it kind of brought me the idea. I have a couple of friends that, that really sunk their teeth into the whole idea of the uh, Peloton. Uh, especially during the, actually both of them bought it right as the pandemic was starting and uh, they loved it. And uh, it's something they can do in their, in their spare time. It's something that they could do. uh, Obviously during the pandemic, they were almost forced to do it because the gyms weren't open, but now the gyms are open. Now things are opening up and there's news recently of Peloton and some of the woes there. So I wanted to take that and volley it in your direction and see what your take, take is on the uh, whole rise and shine and, and downward dog of Peloton. <laughs> well, um, you know that all the things we talk about, a big part of the work that I've done over the last 30 years has been about understanding punctuated equilibrium. That the world goes along, your work goes along, your family life goes along at a certain pace, and then there's a major external event something from the outside you did not anticipate that causes a reset of the system. And that reset then occurs on a different plane. And and things just aren't like they were before. Now, the reality is we can see this coming and we can prepare for it because whatever that, when that event happens, it unleashes things that were going on. And so once again, we're talking about the pandemic here and the pandemic was this external event that hit a lot of people and hit a lot of businesses. But as soon as that pandemic started, we published, you know, our, um, our paper on what were the four things to pay attention to in 2020 and beyond, because these were the four big drivers, the, the, the trends that were salient at the time, you know, not some mega trend that's going to play out over 20 years necessarily, because they'd already been in place for a while, but they would accelerate very quickly, you know, mobile, asynchronous work, the gig economy and artificial intelligence. And Peloton's a great example of one of those products that was just sitting there ready to go. Right now, instead of you having to go to a gym, you have a product that can come to your house. It makes you more mobile to do your exercise. Number two, you can do it whenever you want. You know, you don't have to be in a class like you're doing now. You can get on the bicycle and do this exercise whenever you would like. Number three, it has artificial intelligence built into it so that it can grade how well you're performing and you can be graded against yourself, against the standard, or you could be one of these classes. So three of the four big trends that we talked about were right there, boom, all sitting there embedded into this product, this Peloton product. A lot of people had already thought about buying one. You know, it had been in their minds, they'd considered doing it, but they were either already signed up for a health club or just whatever reason, you know, maybe they didn't have a place in their house for it, they didn't think, and so they didn't buy one. When the pandemic hit, 
they were ready to move, and they did. And so Peloton sold like crazy. So we get this punctuated equilibrium. All of the gyms get closed, forcibly closed, right, because of the pandemic. Unfortunate gym owners didn't have a choice for the longest time. Then when they reopen, they have to be socially distanced, and it was a very difficult reopening. We're two years later now. We're just starting to get back to how, it, how gyms are going to operate. But what it, so what we did was we changed the normal. We changed from what used to be the standard, which was going to a gym, and not a lot of people had an at-home gym or a Peloton, to where a lot of people who wanted them now had a Peloton. And so now we're at that spot. What's fascinating to me is as Peloton jumped through that window and got through that pandemic, it somehow seemed to think that it was... Um, I don't know, uh, like that rate of change, that, that, that punctuated equilibrium would be the rate of change, not that it would strike a new balance. Now, I think Peloton probably is very well positioned to grow at 20, 25% a year. What they did do is they grew at something like, I think, 400 or 500% for the first year. So this enormous spike, and the management started to think that was what they were going to do. Like it's going to be 500% growth forever. And, I, and they failed to understand how a punctuated equilibrium is, how it works, what we could see, what would likely happen afterward. They also failed to realize that if they wanted to continue those extraordinarily high growth rates, they had to find new markets, right? They had to get from bicycles into treadmills and rowing machines and other types of exercise equipment. And they had to find new geographies. They had to get beyond the United States, South America, Europe, Asia, Southeast Asia, China, if they were going to continue that growth rate. And so they just didn't understand the punctuated equilibrium. They didn't understand what was happening to them. They overshot the market in terms of what their expectations should have been for the United States alone. And they don't know where the market is now. Now they've lost track. So now that they've kind of, instead of saying, hey, we could have a darn good business here at 20, 25% growth, and we could start to expand into these other markets, they said, uh-oh, we were prepping for this 500% growth out of our existing market. Yeah. We thought we could get more out of what, selling what we have to people we already know. And now they're shutting back, laying people yeah. off, killing production. And they're killing the company. I mean, the only option they had to be successful would be to go rush forward, lunge forward, make more stuff happen. But they just, they never even thought about it. They didn't prepare for it. And like so many people, they get crushed by the punctuated equilibrium. It's just that where most people get crushed on the front end, they're getting crushed on the back end. It was unnecessary. I mean, if they'd had good yeah. management, they wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah, that's the situation with, uh, you know, some, sometimes too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Uh, if you drink too much water, it, it's actually a bad thing, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's all about everybody wants to, or at least ideally, uh, everybody wants to, their business to grow. But what people don't realize is the, it's, the managing growth is really goes in on both sides of the spectrum. There's lots of other companies I, I know of, one in particular that I can remember here, that had a hyper growth situation before the pandemic. Uh, they had a kind of business that was... Um, involved with uh, kind of a hobbyist business. And then during the pandemic, they their sales were just demolished because of some quality issues, supply chain issues, and people ended up finding a new way to to, uh, to take pictures, essentially. So you've got to manage growth. And, and that goes on the top and the bottom side. Yeah, and what we saw was when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, the companies that were realizing that this was an opportunity really took to expanding, for example, geographically. You saw Netflix really push hard to expand in Europe, to expand in South America. We saw um, Facebook and Instagram divisions of Meta do the same thing, expanding their global footprint, um, moving more into China, and, and Apple in particular moving harder into China at a time when most people were kind of saying, don't go into China because of the pandemic and the issues related to it. 
But they were sitting there saying, okay, now we've got an external event. This external event is going to allow people to jump forward, start to use our technology more, get more out of it. So we have to be ready to continue to push out the door as fast as we can, upgrades, new products, and enter into new markets. So they built on that, and they were able to take advantage of it, and they got those huge growth rates. And, you know, they're doing pretty well right now. Um, and, uh, you know, reasonably, they'll continue to do well. I should have thrown Google in there as well, uh, or Alphabet. So... I think it's been able to look at these things and, and recognize, okay, you know, something big happened. It's an external event. It's changing my life. It's changing my workplace. What am I going to do about it next? Now, you remember some of our very earliest um, podcasts, I talked about the world of work. And we've intermittently talked about the world of work now for two years. And what, But the point I was making was the pandemic said you had to work from home. And a lot of employees were ready to do that. The majority of employees were ready to do that. And so you saw employers now have to shift. And they, they were, before forcing the employee to come to the office, they clearly couldn't force an employee to come to the office. So the employer had to now say, well, what could we do with the technologies and the work from home? And people stepped up, we bought the technology, the company started to enhance their technology, and so we saw people work from home. Two years later, what do we have happening now? Well, you know, we got the great resignation. And what's happened, there's a lot of people out there saying, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this crap anymore. I'm not going to drive for an hour and a half to get to the office and an hour and a half to get home. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live someplace where my uh, income barely covers my rent. If I can yeah. do the job someplace where it's more affordable, why don't I should be allowed to do the job from a more affordable yeah. place so I can have a better quality of life. Um, so Larry Fink is the CEO of BlackRock, an investment firm, and uh, they control, it's either hundreds of billions or possibly as much as a trillion dollars in BlackRock altogether. It's just an enormous investment fund. And last week, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, he wrote his annual letter to shareholders, and in it he surprisingly said, the world of work has changed forever. You're going to have to, people are going yeah, to- Yeah, exactly, surprisingly. Home. Yeah. People are going to work from home, he said, and you're going to have to pay them more money or they're just not going to, you're not going to get anything out of them. Okay, it took him two years as a CEO to get to that point. I hope most of our podcast listeners are well ahead of that curve, right? That you started hearing what we were saying two years ago, which is this is going to be the way people will work in the future. That if they can work asynchronously in a mobile environment, that's how they will do it. That that's They've been trying to do it for 30 years. The external event has now happened. We've hit the punctuated equilibrium, and now we've got people on the other side of the curve. Um, and we're seeing these bigger corporations are some are still going slow, and some are moving quicker. Um, there's companies coming out now saying, you know what? We don't have a vacation policy. You take as much vacation as you want. The key is get your work done, right? Yeah. So they're focusing on the right stuff. What's the work we want the employee to do, and how much do we pay them, rather than the wrong stuff, which is trying to say, can I make you sit in an office and, you know, do whatever I tell you to do five days a week. Um, and that, then that shift's becoming quite pronounced now. Yeah. In the last five months, we've lost over a million people, have quit their jobs every single month in the United States. Last month, I just saw a new statistic, four and a half million people quit their job, I think it was, in the last month. Um, and the reality, you know, people are going to, how could we have inflation and people out of work? <laughs> And, uh, the, and that's because when people think about it, they, they remember the inflation that happened in the 1970s and 80s, and that was stagflation. It was right. a standard economy coupled with inflation. So we had a money supply that had gotten out of control. The, the monetarists out of the University of Chicago were still a small group, not well understood, didn't have a big voice in the Federal Reserve. And so 
the money supply was expanding faster than the economy. The economy was not expanding. We were struggling because oil price shocks had, had damaged the uh, uh, cost and caused cost to go up and damaged our ability to buy. So you had a stagnant economy coupled with inflation, stagflation. It was, it was perilous. But now it's a totally different situation. The economy's growing faster than it's ever grown for the longest time. I mean, we're talking about you know growth rates of 6% in the United States year over year. Now, that's unsustainable because it really reflects pandemic issues, but it's a huge growth, right? So we have a lot of growth and we've got inflation. Those, that's a different problem than stagflation, you know, because we're on the other side of the curve now. So what we're having to adjust to is saying, okay, now we have more work than we have workers. And we have, therefore, people happily changing jobs where they can get paid more money or they can get a better working circumstance. And again, on our theme this week of talking about how we can read and understand current events, the United States Chamber of Commerce, uh, I believe it was last week, um, came out and said with a paper and said they wish the government would double the number of immigrants into the United States. Now, you don't get yep. much more right-wing pro-business Republican than the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, and they have cl were very clear, double the rate of immigration. We have to do that because we don't have enough bodies here to yeah. get the work done. And so, again, is, was this predictable? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you've known me for a few years. I've been telling groups when I do my presentations, when I work with them, that we are going to open the doors and let more immigrants in because the population, the gen demographic changes, the aging of the population would require it. So you yes. can see it coming. And, you know, did you prepare for it or did you not prepare for it? But now that we're uh, commerce screaming to let people in, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when I ran my company, one of the biggest struggles that I had and, and uh, one of the reasons that I decided that I didn't want to be in that business anymore was the fact that I was having such a hard time finding the right people. I would put on a rec for an engineer with five years experience and I would get... 85, 90% of them were, would, would, would require an H-1B visa. They were basically immigrants looking to, for a way to stay in the United States. And the rest were um, not always the right fit. Uh, a lot of people weren't really reading the, the rec correctly and they were just throwing it out in, in our direction. And it was, just became something that was very unsustainable for me as a business owner. And ultimately, I hired a few of these H-1B visa folks, very competent, what I found is that the system that supports them is terribly flawed. You've got to hire a lawyer to, to be your representative. You got to through all, jump through all these hoops. And at the end of all that, having spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get this done, the, the whim of the uh, immigration folks could say, sorry, they, uh, they don't fit and, and that's it. They got to pack up their bags and leave. So why would I want to invest in an employee if I didn't know if they were going to stay for the long term? So I, I whole, wholeheartedly agree that we, we need to open up the borders. We need to be smart about how we do it. And we just need to fill these jobs if we want to grow and continue to, to grow our economy. Yet, just this last weekend, there was a rally in Texas and Governor Abbott was chastised by people in the Republican Party um, for uh, not enforcing border control. And uh, the previous uh, president in a speech said that he, he had done a terrible job and he was letting murderers pour across the border. That, again, politics and things people say, you have to kind of step back and say, wait a minute, what's the reality of what we need in, in business? What do we need to get done? 
right? And and don't appeal to just somebody's beliefs or what makes them feel good. Um, I got a message today from somebody through email that had read, uh, that heard one of our podcasts and seen some data that I put up on Facebook. And they contacted me and said, why would you want to let immigrants in when we still have people that are um, un- underskilled and underpaid in the United States? And I wrote them back and I said, you know, uh, the people that are underskilled need to go get training. And if you're too lazy to get the training or you haven't invested in the training, that's really your own fault, right? You, should, you have to realize that you're going to live 100 years now. You never get to quit growing. You're going to have to get training. And if you've got training and you don't have a job, that's your own fault, too, because the jobs are out there. So we're in a world today where the people that are in America, it's, it's, a, it's a really good opportunity. It's a good time to be working. Yes, we've got some inflation, but wages are going up. That's the good news. It's not like wages are stuck in, in some um, old pattern like we had in the stagflation of the 80s. Wages are going up. So it's a good time to be an American. It's a good time to be working in America. And it's a good time for us to reinvigorate immigration in America and, uh, and try to pull it away from these political uh, rallies and uh, the yeah. screaming politics of the CNNs and the Fox Newses and the MSNBCs and really get down to what is it we need? What do we need to get things done in this country? Yeah, it's, it's something crazy. I mean, I live in a, uh, here in Tucson, about an hour away from the border. And, you know, we have a, I grew up in a border town. So I'm very, very sensitive to that conversation. And, and I'm all for uh, the need, you know, opening up these, these borders in the right way to, to bring in these skilled folks. There's lots of people here already that could be activated and be converted into these H-1B visa, uh, which are very kind of limited already. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that we, we hear sometimes from our listeners and f- people who are confused, they are almost they're overwhelmed and they don't feel as though for whatever reason, even though we say it till we're blue in the face, that this is among the best times to be alive in business. There are so many opportunities. There are the economy, uh, the economies of the world are growing. We're not in some crazy war or, you know, there's not terrible, uh, you know, we talked about environmental things over the past couple of weeks, but it's a great time to be in business. It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to, to really, to have that, uh, that success you want, but it takes some intent it's not just going to happen to you. You've got to actually make the case and, and lean in. Uh, we talk about, you know, I love your analogy of the, of the, uh, the rivers uh, of success, of trends. You want to put it in that fast-flowing river and not in that, that uh, the mire, that creek, or that, uh, that swamp of stagnation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, um, uh, when we talk about opportunity, you know, I want to go back again. When I graduated from business school, my first mortgage was 16.75%, and I was lucky to get it. It was for one year, one year term, because it was a discounted rate from over 18%. And we had to renegotiate our mortgage rates every year in those days. Now, imagine that. And at the same time, if you wanted to go buy a car and you didn't have great credit, you were paying 21% interest on a car. And, of course, credit cards were 22% interest. And if you, the idea of a business loan was just incredibly difficult. Nobody wanted to make yep. business loans. They were too risky at a time when interest rates were so high that if I put some business risk on top of the normal, so here's a mortgage at 18%, a business risk loan is going to be 36%. Now, today, if you want to start up a business, you can borrow money for 4 or 5%. I mean, it's, to me, it's just insane. You know, everybody worried about interest rates going up. I'm like, to what? 3%, 4%, 5%? What are you scared of? 
I mean, seriously, <laughs> if you don't have enough faith in yourself to take out a 5% loan to get a business going, you don't deserve the loan, right? You clearly don't realize the opportunity that you have here. Money is easy to come by. We can get it from a bank. You can get it from a, yeah. a VC firm. There's a, you can go out and, and crowdfund, you know, $200,000 to get your business up and running. There's platforms for doing that. So when we say it's a good time to be a business, it's not a joke. The economy is growing. The global economy is growing. There's the money supply is supportive. You know, we didn't we didn't have a cat, catastrophe in the money supply like we did during the Great Depression. The Great Depression, they let the money supply shrink. We had instead of inflation, we had deflation. And of course, you went into the Great Depression. People were starving to death, and the third of all men were out of work, and women weren't allowed to work. It was a horrible time. We got through that, right? We're smarter now. Smarter uh, Federal Reserve kept the money supply liquid, kept the businesses going. You know, there's just far less to be fearful of at a time when, you know, the hardest problem you have is solving problems. You know, the hardest is how do I find workers, not how do I lay them off, right? How do I go out and, and meet the demand, not how do I go find the demand? It's, so it's a really, it creates these tremendous opportunities. And, and another recent event that, that I like to, I like to hit upon is uh, Microsoft buying Activision. Um, for $67 billion. And what's interesting to me is how many people of my generation just don't don't understand it. They're kind of like, well, $67 billion, you know, why would Microsoft do that? And they really don't have any comprehension of what's going on. I was struck, it was about eight, nine years ago that I started writing columns on Microsoft in which I pointed out that the Xbox, that uh, business never had never made money. It had lost money every single year. And uh, the, the CEO of Microsoft was allowing that business to basically just sort of bounce along competing with Sony, right? There wasn't a commitment to the business. There wasn't any way of trying to figure out how we're going to be successful, how we're going to make money against the competition. All of the energy inside of Microsoft was around Windows and Office, Windows and Office, Windows and Office, right? And so, they, you know, I thought they'd eventually just shut it down, you know, that they'd get tired of the competition. But, you know, actually, Sony wasn't making any money either. They went through four years of losing money, and so they didn't have a lot of money. And so the players out there, nobody was making a lot of money. And the new CEO is where I want to come in on this and, and, and bring out the, the success. We go through the pandemic, and aha, look at how many people are playing games at home. Look at how big the gaming business yep. is. Now, it was huge then. It was an enormous business. It was long before the pandemic. The highest paid athletes in the world were gamers. Before the pandemic, the fastest growing sport in the world was gaming. You know, it was it was it was video gaming. It wasn't football or basketball or baseball or soccer or any of those physical games. It was it was gaming. We already had that well in place. Then you get the external event. The external event people now in the house and they pay more attention and they see the growth of gaming. And so gaming is starting to find its way into everything. You know, it's finding its way into how you shop. I recently was on a, on a website and I made a purchase. And at the end of the purchase, it said, uh, you know, I had a chance to buy some products at a low price. Click a button. And it was almost like a slot machine. Six products came up and um, they had guessed the products that I might like. And it had like 75% off on some of them, 65% off on others. And then every 10 seconds or so, it was going deep, 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 deep. One of them would explode. And I couldn't buy that one. If I wanted to, so the idea was I could right. buy the ones. If I moved quickly, I could get these deep discounts on it. Yeah. That's gaming. That's bringing gaming to the shopping experience. It's putting me in a position to try to pull more money out of me by using gaming technology and gaming techniques on me as a yeah. customer. 
So this gaming is really, this video gaming is part of everyday life. People are doing it, a lot of people are doing it. A lot of people in their 30s and 40s are doing it. People spend money in the middle of games so that they can get improvements in the performance of their competition. Adam, I am 100% in that right now. I've got two teenage boys that uh, I bought one of them a PS4 a number of years ago. He wants, now he wants a Microsoft Xbox. He wants an Oculus rig, which is the, uh, the virtual reality, augmented reality headset. Uh, they're constantly asking me for money so they could buy uh, V bucks and these certain, you know, sort of intangible things on these games. And for a long time, both of them, at least at one point in their, their young lives, wanted to become a YouTuber that what they do is they play these games uh, while being recorded on YouTube or Twitch or these other platforms so that others can watch people play games while they almost like uh, do like a voiceover. They do kind of like the walkthrough. And it's just, I don't get it. And you probably, you don't get it either, Adam. And there's, there's millions of people that they don't get it, but it doesn't matter if you don't get it. It only matters that you're aware of it because if you're in business, you better start looking at what you can do to gamify your your offering. Like you said, Adam, you were probably intrigued by that situation, and maybe you bought one of those things because of the gamif gamification of it. Yeah. So the the point here again, current events. What are we looking at? It's understanding that the CEO of Microsoft Nardella took over a company that was just focused on on Windows and Office in the old-fashioned PC business. He took, as CEO of this giant, giant corporation, Microsoft, you know, just imagine how big it is, he turns that battleship, and he says, we're going to go after uh, software as a service, we're going to go after cloud computing, and, and now he's a whole hog going after the gaming business. And, and now, so like, I'm a Microsoft shareholder, I don't mind admitting it, at a time, you know, five years ago, I was telling people, don't you dare own a share of this stock. The company's in horrible trouble. But the CEO changed it. He looked at the outside world. He saw what was happening. He changed the investment rates. He put the money where the market was headed rather than where the market had been. And now Microsoft's doing fantastically well. And the $67 billion Activision purchase is a really strategic move that'll pay off. I have utter confidence in that, that it will really be a good move. And again, I want to go back. Two years ago, we were telling people this was going to happen. Be asynchronous. Gaming is an asynchronous sport. You can play it when you want, where you want, and it's mobile. Take it where you want. The tools that you're buying are artificial intelligence tools to help you better play the game. So these are the, you know, when we're looking at it, the things that are going on in the economy, how are people behaving, where is the money, how do I try to capture that, how do I tap into that, right? Exactly. So. I think that, you know, the last one I want to end up on, I, I can't resist, is i got to talk a little bit about Bitcoin, okay? <laughs> We've, we're seeing some changes happen in the world. It was 10 years ago that I wrote a column that America needed to realize that at the rate, the speed with which the Chinese economy was growing, there was a chance that in 10 to 20 years, the dollar could be displaced as the world currency with the Chinese yuan. And people thought that was kind of ridiculous. Well, I don't think it's so ridiculous now because of the fact that the economies are about the same size and China's is going to be bigger. But the interesting thing was during the pandemic, the uh, euro has become more traded than the dollar. There are more transactions. If you look at the trillions of dollars of transactions done in the world, the number one currency right now is the euro by a very little bit. Last quarter, it outdid the United U.S. dollar. So what's number three? It's the Chinese yuan. So what we're seeing is that the power of the economy is driving the strength of these 
of these currencies. Yeah. And, you know, the United States better be paying attention here. The people in America better understand that we got to get back on the growth rate because we've got issues in terms of what could happen if we lose, if, if we don't trade in dollars anymore and we start trading in euros, that's going to have a real negative impact on manufacturers and people that make things in the United States. But in the back of all this, I have this chirping noise of people coming after me about Bitcoin. Oh, don't I feel bad because about six years ago, Bitcoin was $7,000, I think. It had gone from four to seven. It was bouncing around. And I said, don't buy it. The reason I said don't buy it was I said, it, I, I don't understand how you figure out the value of this. It, it fluctuates for no good reason. And I don't know why you would need it because you've got plenty of good solid currencies out there that we can track and trace and, and that hold their value on a consistent basis. And today, <laughs> you know, people whack me upside the head and they say, Adam, you were so wrong because look, uh, Bitcoin is worth $38,000 now and you said don't buy it at seven. And I'm kind of like, I still feel the same way I did before. In the last 12 months, Bitcoins have been worth $35,000 or $38,000 and they've been worth $70,000. So they've gone up to 70, down to 35, up to 70, down to 38. I'm looking at this like, how do you consider that a store of value? How do you sleep at night? If you've got your money tied up in Bitcoins and the value can change because Elon Musk sends out a tweet, how can you have any confidence that you're going to yeah. retire? Now, where's the, how, how do we maintain value in that? That's not a currency. That's a, no, it's a very short-term thinking at the end of the day, yeah. in my opinion. So I'm continuing just to watch Bitcoin because everybody likes talking about it. And I'm continuing to have the same attitude, which is that, no, no, don't go Dogecoin, don't go Ethereum, don't go Bitcoin. That's pure, that's pure gambling. Now, <clears throat> the nice thing about it, if I go gamble at the lottery or the sports book in Vegas or if I go to a slot machine, I can tell what the odds are. I know the odds, and the odds may be against me, but I know the odds. I know the bet I'm making. The problem with these things is there is no, no odds maker, right? There's no one controlling the value of this thing, and so the value can go up. It can go down. You know, if people just started dumping Bitcoins, then the value is going to go down, right? It's that simple. So I don't know why you want to own one. You can't hang it on the wall like a piece of art. You can't drive it like a collectible car. You can't enjoy it. I mean, you're going to put a Bitcoin symbol on your computer and look at that and smile every day. I mean, really, that might be okay if the problem wasn't that the Bitcoin goes down 50% in value in three months. You're probably not smiling at that little icon anymore. So I can't uh, I can't get into the world of current events and not talk about yeah, um, I understand. Bitcoin. <laughs> and I continue to say, that the, the story remains the same. What is the underlying trend that, that appeals to us? How does this make people more mobile? How does it make them work more asynchronously? Right. How does it help them get along better in the in the gig economy? And how, where does it apply artificial intelligence? It's not doing any of that stuff. And to me, it's, it's just a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bit of a distraction. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm not as skeptical as you, but I'm not whole hog either. Um, this is probably a good segue into a discussion on our course, uh, Think Innovation, which is, of course, the, uh, the bread and butter uh, foundation philosophy of the content that Adam started while he was at Harvard and has since grown, and uh, it's become quite the elegant tool set. Uh, so I invite the listeners to go to our website, take a look at the, at the course. We also have a, a smaller course called Unlock Growth, which really teaches you how to, if you're in business now, how to unshackle those growths that inhibit your growth 
and uh, those locks that inhibit your growth and get you to that next level. So with that, Adam, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off? Well, I hope everybody's surviving the big snowstorms that hit the East Coast or the Northeast. But if you're inside and you listen to this podcast, I think this is a good time to take the opportunity to figure out what your next business opportunity will be. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Manny. Cheers.